episode of Africa Design Radio is brought to you in collaboration with the Cultural Intellectual Association Lagos, a non-profit group of creatives that seek holistic solutions to urban challenges using design and clear thinking. For more information about the CIA Lagos, please visit their website on www.cialagos.org. I hope you enjoy this episode as we capture the essence of design in the African context. Our very first speaker today is Dr. Adun Okwe. She's an economist who is focused on the psychology of leadership in developing economies. Her industry sector focus is on the creative and tourism industries. Um, her current research interests seek to understand the cultural dimensions that inform leadership behavior, as well as how to garner collective action in communities to advance social cultural development. She is the executive director of the Sahara Center and country investigator for the Globe Leadership Project, which seeks to understand the cultural dimensions of leadership behavior in Nigeria. She advises on strategic business and policy issues for the creative and tourism industry. Um, thank you for joining us, Dr. Adun Okupe. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. All right. So, um, um, so research shows that you know an individual's social cultural context, you know, can have a huge influence on their overall development and quality of life, and this extends, of course, to the communities that they belong to. Um, so, my question to you, Dr. Adun, is, you know, how is the Sahara Center improving the quality of life of Nigerians um, through social cultural development? Thank you so much for inviting me onto this, and I think it's an honor to share the stage with Olamide. So in terms of the Sahara Center, right, what happened was really, I think it was when I was doing my postdoc and doing a, you know, working in a business school in Edinburgh and doing research and just across the continent, the leaders all, you know, and Olamide had mentioned about pro-poor, et cetera. The leaders had all spoken about the, the, the key challenges in, in, in Africa, which were poverty, lack of education, lack of infrastructure. But all of this was the fault of the government. And all of this had nothing to do with the society, had nothing to do with the leaders themselves or the organizations that they ran. And when I moved back to Lagos, that made me start to question really, how do we build a better society? There's one thing to teach, right? I also teach at LBS. It's one thing to teach, but can you teach outside of context? And if you must teach, how do you also learn from the environment that you're in, right? So there's culture, there's heritage, there are all these different things. My background is tourism and economics and development studies. So anyway, all of this together just really made us to start to really think about the missing gap in the sustainable development equation, which focuses primarily on economic development and also the environment, but nothing about the people that actually make it happen. And so that was really what the Sahara Center was set up to do. And we were set up a year ago, really, and in terms of how are we improving the quality of life, I think we're still at the trying to stage. I mean, we've done a couple of projects and really it's about awareness. It's about showing that culture is important. It's about showing that we're not a primitive people, that what it is that makes us a people is worthy of interrogation. And I think it's also providing a lens by which we can then start to view the other elements of development. So even when we're teaching, you know, talking about, you know, German culture, you know, it's very easy when you say German culture, people are like, oh yeah, of course, Chinese culture, Japanese culture. But then when you talk about Nigerian culture, they're like, ah, our culture is this, 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 and that. So I guess softly and slowly, we're trying to, we're starting to show people that 
you know, so society requires us to investigate more about our way of life, how it has evolved over time, and that it is important to our development narrative. So how are we improving this quality of life? We're starting the conversation. In a year already, we've already been involved in, like I said, in a few projects. And I feel like, you know, we've already also been invited to lead the creative um, sector research at the NESG, which is trying to advocate advocate and, you know, advocate policymaking at, at, the, at the federal government level. And so I think that it shows, one, that there's a gap, but it also shows that, two, perhaps the time is right for us to really start to look at who we are as a people. I want to digress a bit from the questions I sent you earlier, and that's because you mentioned, you know, entertainment. And I think um, we've recorded some success, you know, in the music industry, in the filmmaking industry, um, where... Homegrown talents, you know, are reaching um, celebrity status because of the quality of um, um, content that they put out there. Um, my question would be, how do you think we can, you know, whatever that those two industries did to improve the acceptability um, by Nigerians to purchase their products, how can we do the same thing? Um, for urban development, for product design, for architecture? Um, how would you um, advise we kind of mainstream our culture um, whereby it is now the norm versus importing solutions from outside the country? Thank you, um, Chibwezi. That's a very good question. I, I think the, the, the Nollywood and the, you know, the music industry, the story has, is a very strong and positive one for Nigeria. It's very different from when I was growing up, which was, you know, we always listened to imported music. And I feel like now there's really, you know, we're exporting music, we're exporting our culture, our systems, you know. And so in terms of the other um, sectors of the creative industry, which is, I guess, your question. So looking at, you know, art and craft, architecture, but also expanding this to urban planning. The thing is, we always think that we exist or we're starting things in a vacuum. And I think that's why it's important to do research. When you do research, you realize that we already had a thriving, um, we had a thriving uh, set of people and intellectuals, right? In the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s. But something happened which relates to Nigeria's own you know, political journey that halted that or at least put a stopgap to it. So it's not as if nothing has happened before. So in terms of answering your question, I would, I would advise that we first of all go back and see how things were done before. Who were those pioneers that started? You know, you look at Dimas Moko, Rusano Bakpaya, you know, different people that were really, I would call them polymaths in their field. And then you see how they navigated the space, interrogated culture, sanitized it, evolved it, you know, exported it, right? And then we can now start coming to where we are today and start to ask, how do we do the same? Or how do we even take from where they have, you know, stopped. And it's a shame. I'm not saying that people did not do anything from the 80s until now. I just think that the environment is quite different. And so globalization, you know, technology, all of these um, tools allow us to also really, you know, leapfrog and, and, and tell our story to a wider audience. So I would say, first of all, research. I would say, look at what has happened before in this space. Look at what is happening now. Speak to people. Find out the tools and the technologies that they're using. You know, technology is just how we, have, you know, provide solutions. It doesn't always have to look in a, like a Western form of technology. And, and then start to say, okay, how do we then, you know, collectively start to make sense of this to come up with, you know, a pathway for life. All right. Thank you so much. Um, so let's now talk about strengthening civic engagement. Um, I think you would agree that there's this fatigue um, that has engulfed Nigerians to the point where 
they no longer care what the government does. It's almost like they already know that their fate is doomed and nobody really wants to stand up and you know, be a voice for change or be the change. Um, how, how is your organization helping to, to strengthen um, civic engagement, especially as it concerns young people? Because, you know, young people are very quick to idolize success stories. And in our context, the idea of success is frankly disturbing because we idolize the wrong kind of people, people who are clearly into crime, you know, people who are, you know, embezzling government funds. How do we start to change that mindset to be able to um, have more young people engaging in the development of our society? Thank you for that question. And to be honest, it's part of one of the initiatives that we, we, we wanted to do as the Sahara Center, because we also realized that you cannot advance as a people and as a society without collective action, but also without, you know, civic engagement. And, and civic engagement does not always have to be, you know, everybody must go into politics. It's about, you know, understanding, you know, first of all, it starts from the street level. It's saying being conscious and being disturbed enough or concerned enough about the space in which you, you know, exist in and the environment in which you exist in and being concerned enough about its safety, its security, its hygiene, its cleanliness, all of these various elements. So sometimes I always think when we think of civic engagement, we just automatically catapult to, ah, this person must run for president. And I feel like we must start small. It's about that little thing about how are you doing, you know, within your organization, within your residence, within your universities, collective. What are you about outside of, you know, what you're studying? For, so this is for the youth. You know, are you part of any clubs or associations or activities, etc.? But anyway, one of the key things, like I mentioned from, you know, from this postdoc uh, that I did, was that all the leaders spoke about the fact that their people could not think. And then they said that it was the responsibility of the people to think. They didn't see themselves as responsible. And I was shocked because this was Anglophone and Francophone Africa. And so we came up with Lantern, right, which, was, uh, which is our critical thinking and collective action initiative that we're trying to to use to engage young people to think through problems and to hopefully inspire a generation of critical thinkers who can do something in their community through collective action. Now, Lantern, unfortunately, has not done as much as it ought to do, and that is primarily because we've been doing so many other projects, but we've done a couple of workshops last year, and this year... We're going to start in May, but with COVID-19, we've had to try and see how we can change it for an online basis. But these are the ways we are trying to show young people that they can think through their problems, they can apply critical thinking principles, and then they can use this to then work collectively to build a better society. So it's not about seeing that, oh, this problem exists, is the fault of the government. It's It's showing that you have responsibility in your own little way to do something about what, you know, what issues that we, we complain about. All right, thank you so much. With the revolution, right, in communication technology through social media, the world has become, you know, truly a global village. And this has been followed by an increased diffusion of Western cultural values um, to the point of negligence of our native culture. So what do you think the impact of globalization has been on the social cultural development of Nigeria? Oh, gosh. Um, it's funny because I was going through my master's handbook. I did my master's on globalization and development studies at SOAS. And really, I was interested in exactly what you've just said, which is quite an interesting. I feel like either you did your research extremely well or it's just a, an amazing coincidence. But in terms of globalization, right, globalization has had its advantages and disadvantages, you know, 
we're very much, we're stronger, we're more interconnected. I think for me, the positives that, that can, and I'm not, I mean, obviously Western civilization has been diffused around the world. I wouldn't say it was globalization. I would say it was colonization that allowed that, but then globalization has just reinforced and continues to reinforce it. But I also think globalization provides us to be able to also interrogate other cultures and be aware of other cultures and other societies and learn how they're doing things and understand better how we can also do things. So for example, with this whole COVID-19, you know, we started a little um, uh, thing for creatives, like a relief assistance fund. And then we started researching and saying what was happening in other parts of the world. And then I saw that Japan, you know, they had kind of gone into their whole, um, this Amebi, it's A-M-A-E-B-I, which is a mythical um, figure which they had used, it's, it's, it's like a fish, sea gods, fish-like um, image, which is, is from their culture about 200, 300 years ago, but apparently it's supposed to ward off plagues, etc., etc. And this is what the government, the civic society, different people were using to tell people that, you know, you'll be protected, but this is why we must be careful. And I thought, you know, Japan is one of the most advanced countries in the world, yet they are going back 200, 300 years to their Edo era to go on, you know, to see how they can really galvanize the spread of awareness and that people have a responsibility to protect themselves. And I just started asking about, you know, what's happening here? So I feel like globalization also allows us to quickly access what's happening, other, other, other solutions in other parts of the world, and we can then apply them to, you know, to almost reinforce that what we're trying to do in our society, our culture is, is, is good. And it's not because we need that validation. It's just because, you know, we're human beings and over years of neglect, it's important to then provide some evidence that, hey, hey, other parts of the world are also, you know, doing things a certain way. So I think that is one, um, one, one, one way that I think globalization can be a positive impact. I think another positive impact is what you already said about the export of uh, Nollywood and entertainment industry, even our architecture, interior design, etc. It's showing the world that there are different elements to Nigeria. It's showing the world that there are different... Um, yeah, it just makes it more accessible, you know? You don't have to know, you know, you don't have to go through many doors or levels anymore. Literally, anybody can find you online, connect with you on social media, and you can start a conversation. So those ways, I think, can, and then it also allows us to collaborate. We can do more stronger cross-border collaboration. And Nigerians in the diaspora can see what's happening here, contribute to this social cultural development. So these are the positives of, of globalization. All right, thank you so much. Um, before we move over to the North Island project, I would just like you to share a bit of a success story of the Sahara Center. Um, what, what successes have you recorded since inception here? I, I, I would say, I mean, we've done certain projects with different organizations looking at, you know, culture, heritage, urban spaces. Um, I, I do, I've, I've done quite a bit of work with Olamide and, you know, designing Lagos, safety and security for women, the role of culture and different things. But I think my most successful project, I would say, is the Lagos Island project, which is what we're going to talk about next. And it's for the different elements of one, being able to collaborate and show people that you can collaborate successfully, being able to identify a problem. It was, it was supported by Harry Ball, but it was funded by both the Sahara Center and um, Lagos Urban Development Initiative. And it's, it was, so it was successful for me in that we were able to identify the issue, the gap, and we're able to then do something about it. But I'm not going to talk too much about it because you're going to ask us about it. But that is the 
biggest success, I would say. The second one would be, like I said, we're doing this research project on the creative economy in Nigeria for the NESG and really looking at, you know, unlocking the value chain. So value chain mapping and seeing what are the interventions that have worked in the past? What are the interventions that have not worked? Why haven't they worked? And how can, they make, how can we make them work better? And I think the third thing that I'll say and final would be the GLOBE project, which is about leadership. Um, organizational behavior and effectiveness. You know, I spoke about German culture influencing German business, Chinese culture, etc. So this one we were invited, and, and I feel like that was very good. We we're invited by the it's a worldwide project to be the country investigators to see the role of you know culture in in in, in leadership. And this is really looking at business and organizational leadership. And so we've done that project. We've gotten about three hundred surveys. We we did we collaborated with. Um, other countries around the world. And so I think it's important because we're providing Nigeria's, you know, Nigeria's side to the story. Usually we don't have our own side of the story. Nobody does it, right? And so that, that for me shows that we're saying that, can there be a Nigerian culture that influences how Nigeria does business? Can we then start teaching that? Can we start using that to develop ourselves? So yeah, those are the three key things I would talk about. This episode is presented in collaboration with the CIA Lagos to promote creativity in the performance and visual arts. We are proactively adjusting to the new normal and the content is carefully curated to bring far-reaching and opening discussions on design issues affecting Nigeria and Africa in general. Our guests are drawn from a range of veterans in the industry to inspiring newcomers in diverse professions such as music, architecture, art, fashion, to mention a few. We hope you enjoy it. All right, thank you so much. Um, so if you're just joining us, I've been speaking with Dr. Adun Okwe. Um, she's the executive director of the Sahara Center. And we've been talking about the link between social cultural development and improving the lives of Nigerians. Um, I'll give um, her a few minutes to speak about the Lagos project. Um, very briefly, she will talk about their big idea and why it's so important, and finally share their findings and recommendations. Um, Dr. Adun, please just take us on a brief journey um, through the Lagos Island project. Thank you. Oh, it was nice to be online with you, are you? I'm pleased. Oh, okay, that's fine. You guys, the tag team, so yeah. <laughs> I think Adun can start, then I can. Okay. No, I'll talk about the brief introduction and I think maybe you can talk about what we've done and some of our findings and then maybe I can then close into recommendations. All right, great. Okay, so really, it was basically looking at, you know, and allow me to mention this about cities, right? And this um, economist that I really like his work, Edward Glacier, I, I mean, I don't know how to pronounce it, Glacier or Glacier, anyway, G-L-A-E-S-E-R, right? For anybody who wants to research him. And there was a quote that I read which says, cities are for work and play. And, you know, my background, like I said, is tourism, tourism development and tourism economics. And so I was kind of intrigued by that quote, right? And saying, you know, whenever we talk about urban planning, et cetera, we really think about really efficiency, smartness, resilience, all of these things, which are very good. But what about the leisure side? What about the recreational side? How do we talk about the play side, which is what then becomes tourism for visitors, right? You can't have tourists coming and explore things that the residents are not part of. And so really we wanted to look at an environment, an area that had strong historical 
um, connection. And, and also um, we've done some work on Afro-Brazilian heritage there as well. And so that's why we chose Lagos Island. And really it was really to understand the residents' perspective on leisure um, and recreation and how then that affected what they did within their work time hours and their leisure time, i.e. their non-work time. And then from Olamide's perspective was to then see the spatial you know, distribution of Lagos Island and to see what were the nodes of connectivity and how can this then influence urban planning and tourism urban planning. So that was really the aim and that was the question we wanted to answer. And we were trying to find out if it had been done before, something similar had been done before. It had been done around the world in other places. So, you know, we did an extensive desk research, et cetera. And we're able to then say, you know, London, for example, King's Cross, Regeneration, all of these things. We're able to then apply that to Lagos Island. And Lagos Island was important because we knew that, you know, we had been speaking to um, the team that was doing the Lagos Tourism Master Plan, we knew that they were really focused on Lagos Island. And we just wanted to say, before we then start developing, you know, implementing master plans, can we start to understand what the residents' perspectives are so that we also avoid the challenges and issues that surround gentrification, you know, and exclusion. You know, Olamide mentioned about the urban poor. And it's not just urban poor, but also how can we ensure that whatever it is that we're doing is inclusive? And so that was really what started that that was the aim behind the project, and that's the brief introduction before I hand over to Olamide. Thanks, Adam. So I just want to just add that uh, the project was made. So, I mean, Adam has spoken about the question and the idea of, um, you know, how does tourism leisure impact on urban services, on the people that live in the environment um, that the tourists are coming to or other people are coming to, um, as well as how... Um, do people who live there um, actually um, enjoy their environment? Where do they play? Where do they, um, where do they relax and things like that? And then what do they think leisure is? So I'm going to leave Adam to talk about that, but I just want to add two things in terms of like um, what I think made the project very rich. So I, um, we did, yeah, we did questionnaires and we did, um, you know, in-person interviews, um, online interviews. So we did a variety of different um, ways of getting data and information. Um, but I think we started to really understand what, what a community needs versus what a community wants. Um, also, um, how the space has changed over time. Um, because a lot of residents mentioned things like, oh, they used to go for walks in the parks, um, where now Muson Center is, uh, you know, they don't necessarily use leisure spaces as we would see them, like, for example, Freedom Park. Um, but they mentioned things like they went to a, um, they, they, they go to a place where they buy, was it beans or something? Bread? Something. Anyway, they go yeah, to a place beans, where... Beans and meat pie. Beans and meat pie, exactly. So, and those are the things that they perceived as leisure. So it really was, you know, a really, it, it kind of turned our own um, ideas and our own kind of, perceptions of what we believe is leisure is actually what they, they as a community um, understand as leisure and what they understand as leisure spaces. Um, also, the, the needs and their wants are, and how their needs and wants have changed also over time. Um, so, you know, they mentioned the fact that they used to go for walks, they used to go and swim. Um, and then it's really a question of, so why don't they swim anymore? Why don't they go for walks? Is it because the spaces have changed or is it because they don't because um, of the economy, so they have to work harder. They have to do more in terms of provide for their families rather than 
have time for that. Um, um, and also, I think there was a really imp um, interesting point that, that came up, which was about youth centers. And uh, for me, it made me start to think about the fact that um, who, who is the one making decisions about the space um, and where do those decisions come from? So um, one of the youth leaders mentioned the fact that um, they, they, they used to have youth centers in Lagos Island. And those youth centers have now become uh, spaces, have become private spaces. So I guess they were community owned, then private owned, and now the person who owns it as a, uh, has made it into a bar or, or something else that they can't now access. Um, and so it's really interesting because they also mentioned that they have a crime issue and children are being, you know, forced into gangs and things like that. And so, you know, it's, it's, it, for me, it's a bit mind boggling, the fact that these things are happening on one side where uh, there's a social issue, but you can clearly see the answer, which was already there before, but then it's been taken away and you're not kind of bringing those things back together. Um, so, so those are the things that I really took away from that. I mean, there, there were the general kind of uh, takeaways, but those are the things that I really um, took away from that. I don't want to add anything else. No, I think, I think you've, you've said quite a lot. Yeah. You said quite a lot, but you said the relevant, the, the most relevant findings. Cool, cool. Uh, should we talk a little bit about the, where we're going next with this project and how it's become? Sure. So, okay, so do you want me to speak about that or? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I can keep it. So in terms of what we're, where we're going next, so based on what Olamide has just said, you know, the findings were very interesting. And the idea was that we were trying to show an example of, you know, some sort of toolkit that can be used for researchers and development um, officials, et cetera, who need to, who want to develop or implement a change or who even want to really understand what's happening in some community. And it's saying that, you know, there are different ways you can use, do something. So we had the surveys, which we did over, I mean, the methodology was that because you can't just go on one day because you don't want to get, you know, some bias if it's Monday or Tuesday or whatever. So we did different communities. So the community residents, the businesses, the visitors, and then we went on different days of the week over certain weeks, just so that we could at least have some semblance of, what is this place like on average? And what is the feedback like on average? Anyway, so the way we're going next is um, the toolkit development. And then the report is going to be published and designed and an extract done so that more people can see it. We're going to hand it over to certain different public um, 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 parastate, government parastatals, because one of the key things that is important for us as the Sahara Center and also as Lagos Urban Development Initiative is that when we do this type of projects, we should try and make the findings as accessible as possible so that people can learn and so that people can also add to it and other researchers can build on it, etc. It's, it's how human race has evolved, right? And so we want to just make um, the evidence more accessible and more approachable. And then we've been, in the meantime, what we've also been doing in this lockdown is also calling them, speaking to them, finding out how things are going for them. We're also able to provide some very little funding just to help some um, individuals that really needed um, support. And so the idea is that even when you've researched with community, and this is one of the feedback that they told us was that they haven't had any research project as, what did David say, the focus group? It was something about where the first people that have come to ask them about something that is 
actually for them as opposed to yeah. for us. And I thought that was quite powerful because it, it was like, you know, it was like you really care about us and it's about who we want, what we want. It's not like you're just coming to take it and go away. It's really, they felt like there was just authenticity and genuineness to, to it. And so the idea is, I don't know how we can put all of that in a toolkit, but the idea is to develop a toolkit, have a presentation, you know, have a seminar, et cetera, et cetera, so that we can share more of these findings and then see how we can. Should we talk about the other one we want to do now or should, are you going to talk about that one? I think, I don't know, I feel like we've spoken for so long. I feel like we need to open, yeah. maybe we can talk about it through the questions, through the answers of questions. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I think that that's in a nutshell what we're going to do next and then we'll come up with our recommendations, like I said, in the report. As well. I mean, the recommendations have come up, but we'll, we'll disseminate them as well through the report. So yeah, I think we should open it up for questions now. We have, yeah. All right, thank that, you so much. Nice. Thank you so much. Um, that has been really insightful. If you want to hear more interesting episodes of Africa Design Radio, head now to our page on all platforms where you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please do give us a review. You can also write to us at africadesignradio at gmail.com or follow us on social media at africa underscore design underscore radio. I'm Chibweze and you've been listening to Africa Design Radio.